Champions Mojo is part of the CG Sports Network. As top athletes, we understand walking through that door in practice where it hurts really, really bad. And then other people, like they get to that edge and then they pull back. Like, oh, I was breathing really hard and my heart rate was up and they pull back. They don't quite step over that threshold. And I think that's important for us to experience that. Welcome to the award-winning Champions Mojo, hosted by two world record-holding athletes and health, life, and leadership coaches. Be inspired as you listen to Conversations with Champions. And now, your hosts, Kelly Palace and Maria Parker. Hello, friends. Welcome to the Champions Mojo podcast. And I'm not hosting with Maria Parker today, as usual. Maria is on a big bike race. She is doing Bragg, which is bike race across Georgia. And she is on her bike for, I think it's seven days. So it's just me today. And sometimes in life we have to solo, but I couldn't be more thrilled to be with my friend, Susan Ingram, our special guest. And Susan and I are going to have a great swimmer to swimmer, coach to coach talk. So I hope you'll hang with us because We are going to have some major mojo going today. So our special guest today is Susan Ingram. Susan, welcome to the show. Thank you. So excited. Thank you for inviting me. Yes. Susan is the head coach of the Masters of South Texas, known as MOST and Master Swimming. We have our, our call letters. So you guys are most. And coaching this large, successful team with over 160 swimmers. Susan has garnered many accolades as a coach. In 2017, she won the Jesse Kuhn Inspirational Award. And in 2008, she won the U.S. Masters National Coach of the Year, which is quite an honor. Susan has been a speaker for the American Swimming Coaches Association, and she is celebrating over 40 years of coaching. While Susan is a great coach, she is arguably just as good as a swimmer herself. She has earned podium finishes at the FINA World Championships since 2007. She's won multiple U.S. Masters national titles in long distance swimming and in pool swimming. She's had number one rankings. She is just an all around great athlete and coach. We're going to get so much wisdom from her today. And in addition to to coaching swimmers, master swimmers. She was also the head swim coach for U.S. Modern Pentathlon and coached three athletes to the Olympics, including the modern pentathlete that won the silver medal in the Olympics. So we got a lot to talk about with Susan today again. So let's just dive right in. Susan, glad to have you here. And one of the things that I, I, I wanted to just start off and ask you In reviewing a lot of what is out there about Susan Ingram, you seem to have this very special connection with your swimmers as a coach. And one of your quotes that you said that just really hit me was, it's more than a sport, it's someone's life when you're coaching them. And I was just wondering if you could expand on that a little bit. I was trying to make the point that we're not just coaching, we're not just standing on the deck and giving them a set. We're involved with their lives. They come to you for a variety of different goals 
and getting to know them. And it's amazing how many questions people will ask me that have nothing to do with swimming. And they really appreciate that I'm invested with them and the issues that they have in their life. And sometimes they just want to come to the water and just let all that go. But they know that I care, you know, what's going on in their life. But, you know, I think that they find that coming to practice is a safe place to come when everything's going crazy in your life. I think that's such a unique in some ways, you know, we have this kind of clash of old school coaches, which is shut up and swim and the new, a little bit more collaborative coaches, which sounds like what you are. So tell us what your major coaching style is and why you think you've been so successful with everyone from, you know, just fitness swimmers to world record holders. Well, number one, our program is very welcoming to every ability. As long as you can put your face in the water and blow bubbles, you're welcome to join us. And then I'll just put you along the wall and you can grab the wall as you get moved down the pool. And then at each practice, we have every ability. Some people are just learning to swim at age 40. I have Olympians in the water. I have triathletes. And so we just divvy up the lanes for ability and people have you know different goals to be there. So it isn't like one workout is designed for our stronger swimmers. And I try to balance my time and my staff. We make sure that we're visiting each lane, not just favoring the ones that need it perhaps the most. And you don't want to neglect your top end either. So we're moving around the pool. We're coaching from the side. We're coaching from the end. And everybody knows there's a little interaction. I don't have to speak with everyone every day, but sometimes guess what? Today's your day. And and we're just going to work with you a little bit more. But we are a technique-based program and we're trying to make everybody a little bit better every day. From all levels. So the fastest people you try to make better and the newbies you're trying to make better. Absolutely. Absolutely. Everyone can be better. And how do you manage a workout where you have people that can make hundreds on 115 and people that need hundreds on two minutes? Right. So we have somewhere between six to eight lanes. And so I can put people of likability. Some people like even sometimes you're like, you're blending abilities a little bit. So some people are going to get maybe 10 seconds rest. Other people are going to get 20 in the same lane, but those can hang with each other through the week. People understand kind of what the workout's going to be. We have specific IM day, a specific distance day, some with speed. And so that helps people kind of navigate the workouts that they're looking for. So my sprinters usually know on Wednesdays, they'll skip workout and they get in the weight room. My triathletes might not come on Tuesday because they're not interested in IM, but that's a great day for them to get out on the road. So having kind of a flavor of the day helps them have an understanding of what the practice is going to be. And then I can just adjust it down. So like you said, one lane might be going 16100s on the 130. And here we're going, you know, 14 on the 145 and so on. So it's very easy for us to adjust the workout. It's written in three different ways already. And then once in a while, you have that extra person that you, you'll have to do that additional adjustment for them. Beautiful. So in this group, this big group that you have, are there multiple people in a lane or how are you spreading out your two hours? Like how many coaches are on deck with you? We just have one coach on deck at each practice or depending on the time of the day or location, their workouts are either an hour, an hour and 15 minutes, but we always have a coach on deck that's presenting the workout. Since we had COVID, everything's written out before we did a lot of verbal or just write something on a chalkboard, but now each individual lane has their, their workouts posted. And tell us the special connection that your team has with the one-hour swim. 
ah, <laughs> that's because I make them. <laughs> oh, okay. So tell us, why, why do you make them? What's the goal? All right. So we make that our team goal. This is something that's part of our training that in December and January, we're focused on the one hour. It gets people coming in December when life is busy and people are coming in and out for the holidays and family gatherings, and they don't know if they can come to practice, but they know that we have the one hour. So that threat, I think, is hanging over their heads. So they make sure that they come to practice. We have a lot of pride that we've done well as far as nationally with our total yards. And it doesn't matter how far people go. We make it very, very clear that even if you just got 800 meters in an hour, that contributed to our team goal. And there's something about the bonding of people side by side. You know, sometimes there's a little bit of dread when they're hopping in the water, but we're all in the same boat. We track it and we have some team records and people can see, wow, you know what? I really didn't want to do it, but I, I went 20 meters more than I did last year. You know, they see that improvement over time. So you don't have to be a strong swimmer. You know, it's, it's across the board that people can see improvement or they know that this was a team goal working together. I love that. So just for those listeners, so the one hour swim is something put on by US Master Swimming that it's an online event where all swimmers from all over the US turn in their distances for one hour. And then they you can do relays, you can do individual. Did you how much did you go as an individual? How much did you go as a relay? I, I wasn't aware. Do they do how much you go as a team? Yes. Yeah. Oh, I didn't yeah, know. They that keep team scores. I'm, yeah. So they'll okay. have depending on how many swimmers you submitted, it's not your base, but how many you submitted, there'll be large, medium, and small teams that they'll score. So it's it's nice to get that little pat on the head. Since we're talking about this, I did want to add that maybe about 10 years ago, I was watching everyone in practice. And in the middle of the entire main set, I had put a 200 fly, which is not very nice, but I had put it in there and I just told them this long and easy. And it was really kind of cool to see everyone in the pool with this very relaxed and hips are up and gliding. And so when they all came to the wall, I said, you know what? I just thought of this great idea that instead this year for the one hour, we're all going to do a butterfly. And like the pool went silent. And I said, awesome. So there's no objection. So this is what we're going to do. And I had 67 people swim an hour butterfly that year. So we took two months to train for it, but they did it. And that's even now they'll talk about it, that they can't believe that they did that. There's a sense of pride. That they were able to complete that. That is amazing. Like, <laughs> oh my gosh. So 67 people did a one hour swim, Butter. all butterfly. Yes. And then I was going to ask you, what is the most number of people that you've ever had just do a one hour swim? I think we're around 90, about 90. I think we've never gotten. And was that was that like a team goal? Like, hey, if I'm going to do the one hour swim butterfly, you can do the one hour swim butterfly, or like you guys all got together and said, let's all do it that way. Sorta. I think I just said, hey, when do you want to do it? I have Thursday and Friday available that I can time you. Okay. Okay. (laughs) So now the question is, did you do personally the one hour swim butterfly? I do. I do. I lead by example every time. So I don't make my swimmers do anything that I wouldn't do myself. Oh, that's, that's awesome. So uh, with that in mind, when do you get your training in? Because you're a very elite swimmer yourself. So when do you train? Do you train with your group under another coach or how does that work for you? Yeah, I kind of hop all over the place. So sometimes, uh, you know, let's go to different workouts at different locations, or I'll just train on my own in between workouts. I one of my locations where we have an umbrella insurance, so I can 
be in the water without a coach on deck at that particular time, just because we're all members of a facility. But I would say it's 50-50. I'm on my own or, you know, training with another group, but keeps me kind of focused on my stroke because I generally don't have someone there helping me with technique on my own. So with all your coaching experience, if, if we have listeners out there who are, you know, let's say they're either top 10 masters type swimmers, or they're close to being in that top 10. So they're, you know, they're fairly elite. They've been doing, getting better and better in their master's times and their goals. They're getting a little bit more used to competing and they were targeting a hundred of stroke, a hundred of free. So basically they're trying to swim anywhere from a 50 to a 200, but they're anywhere from 40 to 60 in general. We're just kind of picking this general person. What would you design? What would you say is a good number of swims per week, number of yards per week, additional dry land per week for that swimmer. And, you know, you could use me if you want, you could use you, just someone that's like, you've got a life, you've got a job, but you want to get better. What would you tell that person to train like on a, like a week schedule? Well, I think both you and I know kind of what our peers are doing, that they are working very hard in the pool. It takes a, a lot of discipline and a good work ethic. You know, a lot of people are like, oh, I wish I was fast as you. I go, well, yeah, <laughs> you have to put the time in and be there. But I would say if we're putting people in that little box that you have to go at least four times a week for an hour, hour and 15 minutes. And what I'm sure we're both seeing is we're needing that extra strength training as to complement our swimming. That when we're younger, we could swim five hours a day and we got a lot of that strength training and, and muscle endurance that way. But we don't have that kind of time in our lives right now. And so we, I think going 30 minutes in the weight room will benefit you more than the hours in the pool. So the pool is there for specific training and time and, you know, you're setting yourself for a specific time goal, but we need to do perhaps even some yoga, some stretching on your own. Um, those things we have to complement and keep our strength. You know, I, I just feel my shoulders and my back and my knees are all healthier because I'm doing something outside of the water. So four days a week in the water. And then how much are you talking about during those, like how much yardage? I think they're going to have to go 3,000 to 3,500. I don't know if you have to necessarily go 4,000. It depends on how you're writing your workouts. I have a lot of quality in our workouts. so. Not every day, but I would say most days that there's some element of speed that I don't just package it all into the spring as we go into competition season. I don't think your body can wait that long. I think even when you're doing the longer distance and getting through the cold winter months, you still need to wake up the body and wake up those legs and ride high on the water. So, like I said, I think that helps with the strength piece there too, so it can manage it. And then how about the strength piece? Is that twice a week, three times a week? What I advise my swimmers is to have like three different workouts. So have your hour plan that maybe you can do maybe once a week and then have a 40-minute plan and then have a 20-minute plan. So there's going to be days that you only have 20 minutes. And what would people do? Oh, I don't have time to go in the weight room. But if you had a small plan 
where you might just go on the rowing machine and do some ab work and something for your back, you know, you did benefit yourself. And that was according to what the time that you had. But then I feel like some people would just skip it because they don't have the time to do it. So I think you give yourself some options, ideally twice a week. But again, that's whatever time you have to plug it in. You know, I tell people that when I train so I can be competitive and I like to bring home a little bit of hardware when I go somewhere. So that's just a nice little reward. But I am not willing to put that kind of time in that I know my peers do to set national records and world records. I'm in awe of them. I appreciate their work ethic and the time that they put in, but I decide not to do that because I want a more balance in my life. Yeah. And that's a great lead into talking about, you know, like your life, you're coaching full-time, you're doing your own training. You've got three sons and Five grandchildren last check, unless there are more yeah. grandchildren now. Yeah. <laughs> You're like this very, very full time everything. So, how do you balance? If you could give me some rituals or routines that help you, Susan Ingram, become this successful coach and athlete, what are some of the secrets to running a big business and also keeping yourself so fit? I kind of have a outline to each day, but I'm very flexible also. So I don't get upset if that something didn't happen, but having some structure allows me not to waste time and make sure that everything kind of gets in. So I wake up extra early in the morning just so I can run through the house, make sure everything's set before I leave because I'm on the deck about seven or eight hours a day. So I'm not, I don't have access to a computer or return phone calls that I won't do any of that if I'm on the deck because my eyes should be on the pool and interacting with my athletes. So I get up early, have a breakfast, I go to swim practice and I go to swim practice five days a week and I don't miss. There's days that I don't feel good, you know, you didn't get enough sleep, your shoulder hurts, you're sick. I still get in the water because you never know what that water is going to produce. There's times that I ride a workout and I'm really excited to hit it. And then my body goes, yeah, not today. And then other days I'm dragging myself in the water and all of a sudden I'm cranking out these great 200 freestyles. So I've just trained myself, no matter how I feel, just get in the water. And I think that's a good life lesson when you go to a swim meet, because there's going to be all these things that interact with you at a, in a swim meet. I have to, all of a sudden I have to warm up this person over here and she wants to know when she has to, you know, have her snack. And then can you help me? I had a problem with this, a DQ. So I get distracted quite a bit when I go to a swim meet, but I just have that little rituals and I don't let that impact me because I know that my arms and legs work just fine and I have that magic suit and a little pixie dust thrown on my head and I'm just going to swim fine no matter what the distractions are. So that's like through my morning. I make sure that I eat properly. So I have a breakfast before I swim. I have a second breakfast after I swim. I generally swim always early in the morning, but, but it'd be one of three times that I get in. And then I'm trying to get in the weight room twice a week. Then I have a midday workout that I do. I eat lunch when I come back. And then I coach kids in the afternoon and I'm on deck from about four to six and then eating after that. I'm not a big dessert person, but I just kind of make sure that I'm eating through the day. And there's always that liquid in my car. So I know I'm drinking enough because it's a lot of talking. I don't think people realize when you're coaching and talking and raising your voice, how much moisture you're going through. And so you, you have to be drinking a lot to make sure you're not getting dehydrated. So it's, it's not only planning the day out, it's also make sure my meals are correct. So I don't bonk somewhere at the end of the day. And then I have specific hours that I'm on the computer. So 
I feel I've, there when I first started that I would go, oh, let me get on the computer. Oh, and then I started like didn't have something specific to do and I got, I wasted my time. So I said, no, I have to get on there. I will be on the computer from 1.30 to 3.30 and then I'm trying to get as much done and then you know off I go to the next thing. So you actually have that written out. Like that is your schedule, like like a week, like these are the hours I'm on the computer. These are the hours I'm coaching. These are the hours I'm training. Yes. I love that. So before I ask the next question, just a little on your pre-practice breakfast, I get so many people asking me about that. Like, what do you eat? Because I'm a believer that in order to have your best practice, you need to have some fuel in your body before you swim. So what are you eating prior to a morning workout? Yeah. And I'll agree with you. And just adding on that people have to remember the last time they ate was probably 12 hours earlier and then they didn't drink. I mean, they were sleeping, so they haven't put anything into their body. So when I get up in the morning, I have my vitamins and then I have some apple cider vinegar that I have in a a warm cup of water. I think that's a good health benefit. And then I have instant breakfast. That's the low sugar one. And then extra protein powder. So I can swim on the milk. That's fine. I tried a whole bunch of different kinds of foods, a little peanut butter on toast, and it was just too much for my body to digest. It's, it's my tummy is still quiet. You know, you just woke up. Mm-hmm. So, I, you know, I'm eating at 4.30 in the morning, but that's very easy for me to drink. I can sip it while I'm walking around the house. And even if I don't quite finish it, I can drink it in the car before I get to the pool. I think that's a point that a lot of our listeners, master swimmers and master's athletes really need to hear. I remember I went went to a high performance camp, master's high performance, and I'm sure you've either been a coach or a swimmer or both at that. Mm-hmm. And at this particular one, they brought in the nutritionist. We, we were in Greensboro at, and they had just opened the new Greensboro Aquatic Center. And we were there. They brought in the North Carolina State University nutritionist for their training table for their athletes. And so we were all like, yeah, this is going to be awesome. And the biggest takeaway, like when we, Mark, my husband and I both were in the camp, when we left there, she told us, you need to wake up. If you have 5 a.m. practice, you need to wake up at 3.30 and eat something. You can go back to sleep, but you need to eat something. And that was, we walked out of there and we're like, wow, because so many masters will just wake up and go to practice. And so I had forgotten that little piece of advice from about, I don't know, six years ago. And then recently, you know, we have a new master's team in our area and everybody who's been listening knows that it's very exciting. We've grown from like 10 swimmers to up to 80 swimmers now. So we have six people in our lane and the practices are getting really great and fast. And it's great to swim with people and get on the conveyor belt, as I say. And so I had forgotten about eating. So we're at, we hit the water at five 30 and I was just really thinking, why can't I hold this interval or why can't I do what I used to do? And then for some reason, I just remembered eating breakfast and I've started to eat prior to this 5.30 morning practice. And it has been a game changer. Like I just notice a huge difference when I eat before practice. And I eat a little half of a cliff bar. I mean, they're they're made with rolled oats. I'm gluten-free and they made made with rolled oats and they're really easy to digest. And I'll drink it, you know, with a cup of coffee. Because a little caffeine and a little carbs, you're really going to be good to go for me. So I just wanted to 
make sure people heard that one of your techniques was to eat breakfast. And I think that's really, and and also keep your nutrition and hydration throughout the day. So that's great. And next, if there were something else that you would tell like master swimmers, what else, what would be another X factor other than, you know, the swimming four days a week and, and lifting a couple of days a week and doing good nutrition? Is there some mental component or some other X factor? What is the pixie dust? For most master swimmers, having specific goals, and it could be anything. For your fitness swimmers, maybe it's just able to swim 30 minutes straight. For people that race, maybe they want to complete a hundred fly. They don't care about their time. Like, can I actually finish an entire hundred fly? Well, just the goal of going to practice three days a week. So I think if you have that written out and you see that, it's easier to follow. And then it gives you a purpose of why you're going. Because it's, you know, you, you said you were going to come three days a week. Here's Wednesday morning. Oh, you know, you stayed up too late with your kid doing homework. No, you said you're going to ride today's Wednesday, you're going to go. So you don't say, oh, I'll just go tomorrow because that's not going to happen. You know, if you had set yourself Monday, Wednesday, Friday, then just go on that day, even when you don't feel good. And then you're like, okay, I got that off my plate. And I, then for the people that are trying to complete the 30 minutes or complete a hundred fly, or maybe you want to break a minute on the hundred freestyle, then that brings purpose to the practice. So a lot of times I'm talking, communicating with my swimmers, like, what was your goal here? Because they might be disappointed from the meet. Well, I wasn't happy. Well, why weren't you happy? Well, I really thought I could go under 220. Okay. So if you want to go under 220, you know, then you need to do these per hundred. And they're like, oh, that's so much faster than I've been going. Yeah. It doesn't just occur. You have to have specific goals and break it down how you're going to get there, those small little stepping stones. And so I said for the general masters, they, they're all going to have a different goal and just kind of write that out for themselves and hold themselves accountable. And that might be that little sticky tab on the fridge. Yes. I love that. Yeah. There's no doubt that is something that, you know, I love hearing that you're doing in your program is you've got to be swimming fast to swim fast. You know, you just can't, if you're expecting to hold 35 flats for your 200 free 450s and go a 220, you can't have 38 be your fastest practice time. So, you know, I love hearing that. And the one thing I I wanted to go back to and see if you had any stories or I love your, that preparing for life that you get to practice, you've got to work out, you're supposed to do, but you just don't feel it. It's just not happening that day. And then all of a sudden, maybe three quarters of the way through practice, it just something snaps and you feel better. Do you have a a race or a meet or something that you can recall where you had just written off that meet or you'd written off that last race or something and you just, wow, that where did that come from? I thought that was not going to happen. Do you have any stories like that of your own or ones that you've watched swimmers do? A couple of times I've gone into a meet where I had some doubts about how I, I felt, but then I try and dismiss that. And, you know, when I'm in the warm-up pool, getting prepared for my race, I go through my race, what I, you know, what all the work that I had done, don't let this immediate event impact three months of work into my races. And yeah, you're going to have a bad race, but it's just like any athlete, you just let it go. Did I miss that key free free throw? Yeah. You know, but you have another one that's going to come up here in just a minute. So you have to kind of let that go. And so you have a 
crummy hunter fly, you got, you got yourself disqualified that and a mistake that you've never, ever done, then you just, again, just letting it go. I think that's all of us as athletes that we know how to just compartmentalize that and then move on to the next thing and not let those impact and say, oh, well, now that I did that crummy twinner freestyle, that's going to impact my hunter free. Yeah. Okay, Susan, I can think of a story for you. Okay. Senior National Senior Games recently in Plantation. (laughs) I run into you on the first day of the meet and you said, oh, I've had this terrible sore throat. It feels like knives in my throat. And then you you end up getting five gold medals in that meet and swimming some really fast times. So I wasn't even thinking of that. But now that I'm recalling that, yeah, I'm sure there was a little voice in the back of your head that was like, oh, maybe I'm getting sick. Maybe this is going to affect me. Mm -hmm. How did you deal with, with those thoughts or did you? No, I did. Both my roommate and my husband told me not to swim on the first day. I was very, very sick. I just had to get it in the water. <laughs> yeah. That was my first priority. This is get in the water and just cool down and stretch out. And then I kept telling myself, you know what? Your arms and legs work just fine. The throat's cl- closing down and you're going to have to breathe every stroke in this fly or breathe every two in the freestyle. I'm used to breathing every four. So I just made adjustments to my race. So it just, you know, it suited it. And then once I had my first race and I did very well, then I said, okay, no more excuses. I didn't even want to hear myself complaining that, you know, that I was getting sicker through it or I was more tired. And, and really my sore throat was, was so bad. I didn't, I barely even ate for 48 hours. It's not really the best conducive things to perform over a three-day meet, but I said, it's okay. It's okay. Just, you know, just, just keep going not to have those excuses. And, and I just kind of kept my teammates away from me. So I wouldn't have to talk. I know they meant well, and people mean, well, oh, you're doing okay. But I, I didn't even want to think that I was sick. I just wanted some quiet time and just focus on each race as it came up. Wow. What a great mindset. Any other tips for having a strong mindset? Well, you kind of alluded to it earlier that we have to swim fast to be fast. And it has to hurt, <laughs> you know, that as top athletes, we understand walking through that door in practice where it hurts really, really bad. And then other people, like they get to that edge and then they pull back. Like, oh, I was breathing really hard and my heart rate was up and they pull back. They don't quite step over that threshold. And I think that's important for us to experience that. I have some kind of some brutal sets that I'll throw at the team, you know, three and five weeks out because I want it soon enough that they still remember how much it hurt to get through that practice with goal times, but plenty of time to recover for them. So at the end of a race, when you feel like your arms are falling off and your thighs are on fire, then you're like, you know what? I was just here a couple of weeks ago and my arms stayed attached and my legs were kicking and I didn't think that they were. And so I think it gives you that confidence when you think that things are falling apart to know that you've already done it in practice and you looked up and you were surprised at your time. So I think that kind of helps us be positive in our races when you think that they're falling apart, but they really aren't. Yeah, that is such a valuable piece of information for people to really hear. And I'll, you know, we we just had Rick Walker, the great Sarasota Sharks coach on the show. And he, you know, we, we kind of try to pull a quote of the week from each show. And his quote was, I find that people like to work hard and we at the Sharks, we work hard. That was mm-hmm. kind of to summarize it. So I feel like that is a valuable missing component for a lot of people. I happen to be in a lucky, lucky marriage where my husband is a 
serious master swimmer. I mean, he wants to be top 10. He wants to be successful at nationals. He wants to get faster. And he sees where I am and, you know, my results and he knows how hard I work. I mean, there is no doubt if someone, if someone were to interview me on their podcast, what is Kelly Palace's secret? I would say, I just outwork people. I, I go for the pain. I know it's going to hurt. I hurt in practice. I have a little log book and I enter my workout. And if I was in pain in that workout, I give it a smiley face. If it was not if I didn't didn't feel like I pushed myself into that discomfort zone, if I don't feel like you said that beautiful phrase of walking through the door, if I didn't walk through the door in that practice, I don't get a smiley face. It's still, you know, it still counts and not every day can get a smiley face, but right. it still counts. So my husband is like many master swimmers that you described. I train in the same lane that he does and he will pull back. He, I will see him be, he's, he's 12 years younger than I am. You and I know what we went in the hundred free. We were a hundred, hundred apart at national senior games. And, you know, you got the best of me in the 50. I got the best of you in the hundred. It was very, very close, <laughs> but you know what we did in the hundred free. My husband is 56 in the hundred free. So there's no question that he can make 10, 100s on 120. I mean, yeah. I can do that all day long, but he doesn't, he just, doesn't walk through that door. He feels he he sits out on the pool deck and starts breathing and says, my heart rate's up. I don't feel like it. Oh my God, I think I'm going to have a heart. You know, it's like, and so what do you tell Like, and I'm his wife, so he's not going to listen to me, but I just say, honey, you're going to be fine. Just, just <laughs> push through it. But what yeah. do you tell people that have that, that don't know how to push it in practice? I think it would be good to do like a heart rate test where you kind of monitor the heart rate in according to the effort because there's perceived effort and then there's the effort. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and what I've done with some of my athletes, because they weren't swimmers when they were younger, they came into the sport at 40 and 45 and maybe they weren't any kind of other athlete and they, they don't quite understand that principle. of. And so we'll do 10 100s and we get their pulse. After the first one, and let's just say, you know, it's 120. So that's, that's great. And each one, I want them to go two seconds faster. And so it was at 120 and now it's at 130. Now it's 140 and they're going faster, but then here comes number five and that's not feeling so good anymore. Right? <laughs> first ones are easy. Now it hurts. And so they'll back off. They'll actually go slower and they take their pulse and it went down. And I said, see, you thought you were working hard, but your body is telling you that you pulled back from that pain and your heart didn't have to work as hard. So we'll do that set for a lot of my beginners that are trying to set goals for themselves or understand what they can do in practice. So they see that correlation to what's working hard and what their heart is doing to the time that they're trying to do. That yeah. might be helpful. Yeah, that and is I, helpful. Sometimes I'll even get taken back a little bit. Like I'll be at a swim meet and people are like, yeah, you just make it look so easy. Or I wish I was fast as you. Or, oh, I bet you don't even have to try this event. It's like, you know, I worked really hard the last six months and I'm, <laughs> I didn't come here not to do my best. I don't care who's in the pool. You know, I'm there to perform my best. And I think people have to remember that these athletes are putting that time in. I think some, a good quote is everybody wants to be Michael Jordan for a day. And they don't appreciate the work that he did in every single practice. And then he'd come back and on his own, shoot for another two hours. 
you know, it didn't just magically occur. You know, he, he's someone that got cut from his high school basketball team. So it wasn't just talent that took him through. It was that work ethic and being there and showing up when no one else came. And I think people need to appreciate, like I said, I completely appreciate the people that are national and world record holders. I know what they're doing. I'm in awe of their work ethic that they put into the pool. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you're not that far off, Susan. I mean, you're, <laughs> you're extremely, extremely elite. Maybe when you retire, like I see some of the people that do retire that have been, just been swimming and working and then they, they go into their 60s. I don't know if you heard the interview with Amy Rieger, but she's in our age group and she's so much faster now than she was in her 40s and 50s because she didn't really, she retired and now she has time to swim and she's uh, just, she's rocking it. I mean, uh-huh. she's like, you know, 58 and 100 free and when she's had three national records this year, just, and she doesn't even, she's not like going crazy with her training. So what commonalities do you think champions share? I think that we, you know, we kind of touched on is it, it's that worth ethic, it's goal setting. And then just, like I said, with the goal setting and have, having a plan for the season or plan for the year, what I like to do is like have different goals. I think, cause I'm a coach that I like to train for different events like every three years. And so like this year, I'm all focused on the backstroke. And then a couple of years ago, I was doing all distance events. And now I pull that back and now I'm back on my sprinting. But it's very specific. So when I'm in practice, I don't just do, you know, I'm going meters, but I, you know, I'm not just going to do 37s. I got to do 35s. You know, that's, that's what's going to take me to what I want to achieve, you know, in the meet. I love it. I think we've gotten such great stuff here. This is awesome. Before we go to the fun quiz, the sprinter round, where you just answer some fun questions, is there anything that I have not asked you that you would like to share with our listeners? I think as both a swimmer and a coach, just be a life learner. Always get better. Everyone can be better at something. You know, maybe you're like, okay, I, I can't get better at swimming, but you can read more and understand more the physiology of coaching. Or maybe you're going to be a better cook or you're going to work in your garden or learn piano. But I think we need to continue to challenge ourselves, to inspire ourselves and surprise ourselves and maybe even embarrass ourselves. I, you know, I went and did pickleball and I was really surprised that the ball didn't bounce very much. <laughs> <laughs> there was a lot of woofing, <laughs> a lot of woofing sounds. But I think that all that keeps us inspired in doing other things in our, our lives. You don't just funnel on one thing. Just try different things maybe that you haven't done before. I love it. I love it. Okay. I know you can sprint. So this is just a <laughs> quick answer. Are you ready? Okay. Take your bar. Cat or dog? Mountains or beach? Beach. Milk chocolate or dark chocolate? Milk. Kickboard or no kickboard? No kickboards. <laughs> Football or baseball? Football. iPhone or Android? iPhone. Coffee or tea? Neither. Oh, morning person or night owl? Morning. Fingernail polish or no fingernail polish? I have tips on my fingers, so fingernail polish, yes. <laughs> okay. All right. What is your favorite color? I like bright colors. I'll have to go with orange. My husband's favorite color is orange. Not a lot of people pick orange. I like that. Favorite pizza topping? Pepperoni. Favorite vegetable? Peas. Not too many people say that either. <laughs> yeah. 
Okay, peace. Favorite swim complex that you have swum in in the U.S.? Well, pretty favorite here in San Antonio, spoiled with that one. Second might be Stanford. Yeah, that's a nice pull. Okay, what kind of music do you like? I like everything. I'm constantly pushing on the radio channels. So I get some hard rock going at five o'clock in the morning on the way to practice. Start bouncing and, and getting all jazzed to you know hit the water. Maybe something a little calmer on my way home. I'm pretty eclectic, I'm afraid. So enjoy it all. I like it. What's your shoe size? I think we're at an eight and a half now. And any siblings? I have a younger sister, four years younger. How about your favorite Star Wars character? Oh, we're going to go with Princess Leah. She's oh, a I tough love cookie. it. Yeah, ah, I love tough. it. Can you cook, Susan? I can. Yep. I'm a good cook. I Very enjoy nice. it. And what word comes to your mind most when you dive in the water? <laughs> That's the word. <laughs> it just feels nice. Usually I'm probably checking about the temperature, I suppose, but it just... Ah, you know, just I just love that entry into the water. I just I'll do an extra long streamline, maybe kick a little bit, just taking in the moment. I I, I feel the same way. Ah, well, this has just been such a pleasure. I really, really appreciate your time. I'm sorry Maria missed it, but she will hear all about it from me. And thank you so much for being with us and wish you just all the best and look forward to seeing you on the pool deck. Thank you. Look forward to racing again. Yep. (laughs) Thanks, Susan. All right. Bye-bye. So I am going to do the takeaway solo. And that was a wonderful interview with Susan Ingram. I hope you'll get to listen to the whole thing. I got so much that I'm going to come out of that interview with. And my first thing that I loved is how if we're going to practice or we're going into something that we aren't feeling really up for. Maybe we're too tired or we're just not in the mood or maybe we are even feeling sick, but we're still going to do the workout that you just go ahead and try it and see, like just finish the first half of the workout and see how you feel. And then if, if you really, if you're not feeling it, go home, but you may just start to feel better halfway through. So I love that. That's kind of how life is, that if we can do that in practice, that when that transfers into life, that it it makes it a little bit better. My second takeaway from this is that really at all levels, we need to have goals and very specific goals, goals for the season, goals for the practice. We hear this a lot. It's one of the things that Susan thought, you know, champions have in common is that they definitely have goals. I would totally agree with that. So you know, those are my two takeaways. There were a lot more. She said having written goals. So that's sometimes we just have them, but those are my two. And there are a lot more. And I'm sure if Maria had been here that she would have had a couple of takeaways too, but thank you for spending the time with me today. And I love you, Maria, even though you're not here and I'm sure you will be back on the next show. Thanks for listening, everyone. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the Champions Mojo podcast. Did you enjoy the show? We'd be grateful if you would leave us a five-star review on iTunes to help others find us. And we'd also love to hear from you. We're on all social media platforms, or you can reach us at championsmojo.com.